This is Jonathan Hansen. You're going to be hearing now an interview with Richard Simmons, Men for Nations, that was recorded in 2010. Richard is with the Lord now, but the interview is most relevant. This is actually day three. Sit back and enjoy. God bless you. Welcome to the program, Warning. Today is my third program I'm doing with Dick Simmons, founder of Men for Nations, based in Washington, D.C., from his house office location, you can actually see the Capitol building. January 11, 2010 through January 20, 2010, I flew and was in Washington, D.C. I went with seven other ministers and we primarily prayed for six to eight hours a day. And we did this again for nine days as well as being in a spirit of intercession all day. Spirits were revealed, ruling the House of Representatives, the Senate, the Supreme Court, as well as the White House. I'm not going to get into that at this time, because we want to share the importance of prayer. Dick believes the Lord told him he needs 500,000 men that will pray from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. daily. On behalf of this nation, if you've been watching this warning television program, you know the seriousness of what's going on. We have constantly have different leaders on this program warning you what is happening in America, the laws, other things that are happening not only in America but around the world as far as eschatology, Jesus Christ is shaking the nations. The last couple of programs we did, I went into a little bit of the prophecy. I'm not going to go into that much right now. You can look at my website, www.worldministries.org. On the top left-hand corner, you'll see different buttons. Click on prophecy. Every continent will appear. Click on North America. The countries in North America will appear. Click on the American flag, and you can read the prophecy in its entirety. Now, I flew to New York seven months before 9-11 and shared what was about to come upon America, as well as New York City, including skyscrapers falling. That, again, was prior to 9-11. September 14, 2001, I was on two live talk shows, one for one hour and the other for two hours. I stated emphatically, that while I was in prayer that very morning, the Lord spoke clearly to me, quote, more attacks are coming. And finally, there will be an attack that leaves 1,000 times more dead than the death count of this present disaster, unquote. So if 3,000 people died in 9-11, you're going to see over 3 million people die. That, I believe, is coming in the very near future. Only this will finally get the attention of some people. Others will, as Revelation 16, 21 predicts, blaspheme God because of the plague. What we are seeing and will continue to see happen is that as these catastrophic events occur, they will cause the excuse needed to continue to form and usher in the new world order and religion. God raised up three adversaries against King Solomon for committing the sins of pride, self-reliance, immorality, and outright idolatry in worshiping with other religions and gods 
as we in America are guilty of doing. For sins bring judgment on a nation, idolatry, immorality, killing the innocent, and dividing the land of Israel. Please read 1 Kings chapters 3 through 11. Chapter 11 tells us about the three adversaries that God raised up against King Solomon to tear his kingdom apart. All through the Bible, one can find where God sent adversaries against his own people when they went into idolatry and immorality. We have missed the message from God to repent, and now millions will eventually die. We talked about how a great intercession must take place to intercede and stand in the gap as God's sword is ready to come down to delay judgment. Or repentance can stop judgment. I'm talking about a nationwide repentance as in Nineveh. Remember the book of Jonah. But ladies and gentlemen, we're in trouble. And we're trying to raise 500,000 men to pray. I have with me again Dick Simmons, Men for Nations. And we're going to be talking right now on what you can do to help us raise these 500,000 men. Dick, welcome back to the program warning. Thank you, doctor. We left off yesterday talking about God's dilemma. I want you just to break that down. Well, God's the dilemma is, is it's spelled out pretty clearly in the Chronicles passage where he says, if you, we humble ourselves and pray and turn from our selfish ways, and we could, he'll heal the land. But it also says, uh, in, if you look at the passage in, in, in um, the 119th Psalm related to David. Now, David was, called, of course, called a man after God's own heart. Yes. But it says in 126, when thy law is violated, it is time for me to act. Wow. Now, the question is, how is he going to act when God's law is violated? Yes. Well, he has one of two ways. One is to heal to stop the evil. Sure, the sure. other is to destroy. To destroy. So uh, God's, go with, with a record of 50 million babies having been mutilated and suffocated in the sanctuary of their own mother's wombs. Yes. And the men really being the responsible ones. Uh, what, what is God going to do to a nation like, as wicked as this? That's right. And it, it's, uh, and so, but it says the chambers of heaven, one person got a prophecy, it says the chambers of heaven are filled with the screams of the unborn being mutilated and suffocated in the sanctuary of their own mother's womb. And then the Lord spoke and said, this could not have happened except your hardness of heart. And your my goodness, of my goodness. But the time now is, it's time to come out against this Goliath that is mocking the armies of the living God and say, is there not a cause? and say, you come to us in your great power, but we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And he'll give us the victory. Now, I, we saw a group of men take this challenge in 84. They were the first group of uh, charismatic Christians that uh, saw that our nation was really in peril. And they were led by a, a former commander from the Navy. And uh, God uh, birthed a whole series of uh, house churches that eventually started meeting in schools north of D.C. Right. And they began to research and started to work there, the uh, state capital there in Maryland, which is a very liberal state, and, and everything they did failed. They couldn't get, they couldn't, uh, the other side uh, just blocked them in every side. They couldn't get anything through. They even ran a person for an office. 
And then the Lord spoke to a young Italian pastor and said, if you'll, he says, if you'll pray from 10 at night till 2 in the morning, I'll show you what I can do. Wow. He did this for a year, and then I challenged his congregation, his men, to start to pray every morning. And they uh, prayed. Now, I teach my men, if you want to get an answer to prayer, you've got to get specific. Yes, yes. You have not because you ask not. Good. And uh, if two or three agree touching anything, uh, 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 that uh, God will... God will give it, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And they decided that their petition to the Lord would be uh, to ask him to break the bias in the secular media, media on the abortion issue. And uh, up to that point, I was on Reagan's transition team when he went in, and uh, Reagan spoke to the, all those that came assembled on the day they... they, they they don't not commemorate but grieve the, the, the roadway decision. And the media completely browned us out. They only looked at the other side. Wow. These men started praying every morning that God would break the bias in the secular media, and they prayed for a whole year. Well, at the end of the next year, NBC, CBS, ABC, all of the networks covered it. In fact, TV Guide wrote an article, and here's the article if you can see it. Abortion bias, how network coverage has tilted to the pro-lifers. Wow. It totally tilted over to the right side. Yes, yes. Fair coverage. But the reason that this happened because the leading abortifier, uh, Bernard Nathanson, who actually was one of the six that framed the language for Roe Wade and ramrodded it down the throat of our Congress, became the, he was a physician, he became the chief physician of abortion clinics in New York City. Wow. He killed, he literally oversaw 40,000 abortions. My, my, my. He, he actually aborted his friend's children and his own children. My, my, my. He, and he, he's written a book, he says, uh, an abortifier is just without conscience whatsoever. Well, he began to see that something was wrong, and he did, that's when Emmons and Cesus had come in, and you could, they started to be able to view the womb. He took us into a womb, into the womb, and showed us an abortion taking place, and the baby trying to get away from the, the instruments of destruction. Yes, And yes. the media put it on. It's called silent screen. I remember that. And uh, the entire nation became sensitized. And it was, it, was, it was wonderful. Now, Bernard Nathanson had a problem after that. He, he began to realize, you know, if you pray for those, the world, it says, Jesus says, you're your advantage. If I go away, I'll pray and, and I'll, the, 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 the Holy Spirit will come and convince the world of sin and of righteousness. Not only what's wrong, but what's right. And he became convinced it was wrong. But he had a, and then he realized that Christ had died for his sins, for forgiveness. But he said, I, I had a hard time believing that, that he, Christ could forgive me because I killed more people than Hitler. Wow. Now he's one of the main pro-life leaders in the wow, nation. Wow, wow. He's on the, he's advisor to the Family Research Council. So God took the worst and made him the best. You bet. God can change the hearts. You betcha. The he Apostle can. Paul and and others, we have the example of this, of how great his mercy is, if we pray. This is God's dilemma. You have awake, remember, repent and unite, intercede, prevail. Well, I find that, first of all, you, you really have to show people what is the tragedy of what has happened. In yes. Pornography and abortion and all the, the, the problems of our inner cities, our youth, and 
and our families and everything. And, and it's heavy duty. This gives people a sense of urgency and, they, and they've got to do something about it and showing them basically America's spiritual and moral crisis and the, the impending judgment uh, or mercy and the, the need for armies to awaken the dawn, to turn the battle. But I find you have to go on and then show them, get them to remember what God's done in this nation in the past. We've, Good. we've had We've fallen away from the Lord four times in yes. our history, and we've turned back. And, and God has turned the nation around in times past. Wow. And I just take them through these revivals. There's four great revivals. Again, we can put that chart up, and they can show it to you, but here it is. There's four great revivals we've had in the past, in 1734, in 1794, in 1858, and 1905. And the first revival... But people don't realize that the nation had really fallen away, even though our nation was birthed by Christians. And, yes, yes. And, uh, it says that not many people realize that in the wake of the American Revolution, there was a great moral slump. Drunkenness became epidem epidemic. Out of a population of 5 million, 300,000 were confirmed drunkards. They were burying 15,000 of them each year. Profanity was the most shocking kind. Women were afraid to go out at night for fear of assault. Bank robberies were a daily occurrence. And the Lutherans were, uh, had their worst, were languishing and uh, disgusting, uniting with the Episcopalians that were worse. And the Baptists said they had their worst year. And the Chief Justice of the United States, John Marshall, wrote to the Bishop of Virginia, James Madison, said that the church was too far gone ever to be redeemed. Wow. And Voltaire, of course, agreed, and Tom Paine echoed, Christianity will be forgotten within 30 years. The liberal arts colleges at the time, these are colleges that were founded to train young men to preach the gospel. Yes, A yes. poll was taken. Harvard had discovered not one believer in the whole student body. They took a poll at Princeton, a much more evangelical place, and discovered only two believers in the student body. And only five that did not belong to a filthy speech movement of that day. Students rioted. They held mock communion at Williams College, and they put on anti-Christian plays at Dartmouth. They were, Dartmouth had, had been the center of revival before. Wow. They burned down Nassau Hall at Princeton, and they forced the resignation of the president of Harvard. They took a Bible out of the local Presbyterian church and burned it in a public bonfire. Christians were so few on campus in the 19, 1790s that they met in secret like a communist cell and kept their minutes in code so no one would know. My goodness. And Kenneth Scott Latterat, the great, great historian, the five volumes on the church, said that it seemed as if Christianity were about to be ushered out of the affairs of men. The churches had their backs against the wall, seeming as if they were about to be wiped out. Now the question is, how did the situation change? Sure. It goes back to a Scottish Presbyterian minister in Edinburgh who published a memorial pleading with the people of Scotland. And Jonathan Edwards led, read his appeal here in America, and this great theologian finally published a book. And here was the title. A humble attempt to promote explicit agreement and visible union of all God's people in extraordinary prayer for the revival of religion and the advancement of Christ's kingdom on earth, pursuant to scripture promises and prophecies concerning the last time. That was not the book. That was just the title. Wow. And yet that fired ministers all over the world. And, and a, a prayer movement started. It started in Britain 
and, and then the churches knew they were back, backs were against the wall. So the Presbyterians in New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania adopted it. Bishop Francis Asbury of the Methodists adopted it for all the Methodists, the Congregational, the Baptist Association, the Reform, the Moravians all adopted the plan until America, like Britain, was interlaced with a network of prayer meetings. My goodness. Which set aside Monday to pray. It was not long before the revival came in. It broke out first in Connecticut, then spread to Massachusetts and all the seaboard states in every case, but it was without extravagance or outcry. It was a quiet, powerful movement change. And students came back to the Lord. Yale had a revival that lasted 80 years. Um, however, there were some variations. When the revival reached the frontier in Kentucky, it encountered a people that were wild and irreligious. Uh, Congress had discovered that in Kentucky there had not been more than one court of justice in five years. Peter Cartwright, a Methodist minister, wrote that when his father settled in Logan County, it was called Rogues Harbor. If anyone committed a murder in Massachusetts or a robbery in Rhode Island, all he needed to do was cross the Alleghenies. The decent people in Kentucky formed regiments of vigilantes to fight for law and order, fought a pitch battle, and lost. However, there was a Scotch-Irish Presbyterian minister named James McCready, whose chief claim to fame was that he was so ugly he attracted attention. They said, what does that man do with a face like that? He, he said he must have something to say. He settled in Logan County, pastor of three little churches. He wrote in his diary in the winter of 1799, for the most part, it was weeping and mourning with the people of God. Lawlessness prevailed everywhere. McCready was such a man of prayer, he not only promoted the concert of prayer on Monday, but he got his people to pray for him at sunset on Saturday evening and sunrise and Sunday morning. Then in the summer of 1800, came the Great Kentucky Revival. 11,000 people came to the communion service. McCready hollered for help, regardless of denomination. Baptists and Methodists came in response, and the Great Camp Meeting Revival started to sweep Kentucky and Tennessee and spread over North Carolina, South Carolina, all along the frontier. What happened? The most godless, lawless communities in America became the Bible Belt. Yes, yes, yes. God can transform communities. If we cry to the Lord... So we've seen four great American revivals. Four great revivals. Jonathan Edwards, Dwight Timothy, Charles Finney, and Evan Roberts. Right. And they've, they've changed the character. And the last revival in 1905, it just swept, swept the whole world. It started in Wales, but the whole city's turn. So there is hope. There is hope. There is hope. We, we need to remember what God's done for us in the past. There is hope, and that's so important. Right. Repent and unite. Well, the thing is, you got to, if you're going to, uh, you, not as you've said, it's not just intercession. It's repentance. Repentance. We have to, if my people will humble themselves Amen. and turn from their selfish ways. Second Chronicles 7, God can't touch the cities until we turn from our wickedness, and, and then he'll use it, our prayers to, to change the nation. Give some examples of the national call to repentance. Well, we, we had, uh, again, I mentioned the men praying in D.C. And then 10 years later, in 94, I get, we get a call to come to pray. For, in fact, it was from the, one of the officers of the majority the whip uh, of the uh, House, Tom DeLay, uh, a staffer. He was a former Maranatha kid, and, and he's, uh, Tom DeLay had said, we're going to be a socialized state within wow. two weeks. Wow. 
And he said, there's nothing we can do to stop it because we don't have a filibuster or anything. Hillary Clinton was ready to cram a health bill down our throat. Yes, yes. And so we get a call in Bellingham on the West Coast and others got calls. Ten of us came together and we prayed on his farm, which was right next to Camp David. We called it David's Camp. Wow. And we prayed for 10 days, 10 hours a day for God to intercede and intervene. And the power of God fell. Yeah. Right off the entrance to Camp David after 10 days. And uh, the crime bill backfired then and pulled down the health bill. And it all went down. I think President Abraham Lincoln called for a national call to repentance. Right. And, yeah. So it's, then Jonah. Yeah. We've had other calls. In, there is always hope. There's hope. If we humble ourselves. Intercede. Talk about it a little bit. Well, the, the problem is, is to prevail. And... Um, there's a tendency on people feeling that if they pray a little or say a few, but uh, it's it's it, we basically will not I vindicate my elect who cry to me day and night? Yea, I will vindicate them speedily if they they cry to me. And uh, of course, there's you, you know there's groups now going into 724 prayer, which is continuous prayer. Well, I think one of the greatest examples of this is in Scotland with John Knox. John Knox used to meet with uh, men for prayer as he prayed against the, uh, the influence of Bloody Mary and her, her reign of terror. Yes, yes. And uh, Bloody Mary knew him quite well. His, he preached in a big cathedral, St. Giles, just up a few blocks from the, her palace. And she, she said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the armies of the continent. <laughs> and John Knox would come down into the palace and point his finger in her face and say, God's going to judge you for your adulteries. My, my, and my. She said she feared. Well, one night in an all-night prayer meeting, I've been, I've been to his house right across from the church there. It's still very much a, a beautiful place, a stone building. Uh, he, they were praying in the yard in the back and, and uh, in the middle of the night, John Knox said, I perceive that God hath given us. I don't know what's happened, but I perceive that God hath given us Scotland. And Bloody Mary died in her bed that night. My and Scotland goodness. was liberated. My, my, and my. If we had men in our church, if we had pastors leading them, praying like this, we would see things turned around quickly. Wow. He wow. says, I'll be, in fact, there's a promise in Isaiah uh, 28 where it says, I'll be a strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. And these battles can be turned. Abortion can end. Watchmen who prevail. Right. Isaiah 62. Right. Now, another illustration I like to use is Francis Assisi. Of course, we all know Francis Assisi. But somebody gave me a book, a big, thick book of his. And, and, uh, and I opened it to where it said he, these churches that he restored all over Europe, <coughs> the friars, he would uh, stay up all night and pray. And, uh, and uh, it says the devil would come out and do hand-to-hand -hand combat with him. Wow. Well, then I turned to another page, and he's, it's his first missionary journey up into Europe, probably headed for Britain or somewhere. And he comes into a town, and there's violence everywhere. And they're dueling in the streets. And so he says to his associate priest, You've got to, he says, go out to the gate of the city and command the, the demons of violence that control the city to leave. So he very dutifully went out to the gate of the city and said, in the name of uh, the Father, in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, in the name of their servant, Francis, I command the demons of violence to leave this city. And they left, and the city had peace. That God can change. Principalities can be bound. 
and uh, God's uh, angelic host can literally visit a, a whole community and transform it. Prayer warfare, bind and loosen, Matthew 16, 17 through 18. Well, that's, Paul, you know, Jesus said to, to Peter, who do, you, who do they say that I am? And he said, thou art the Christ. He said, blessed are you, for Father has revealed this to you. And he says, upon this rock I will build my church. It's on this confession that I'm the Christ. Yes. But he said, uh, before you're going to be able to do the job, he says, uh, and he said, he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven whatever you loose will be loosed in heaven and uh, he says but before you're going to be able to do this you need keys if you go from 1616 Matthew 1616 over to Matthew 1818 he gives you the keys he says if two or three agree whatever they bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Otherwise, if you pray together enough with others, one will put to flight a thousand, two will put to flight ten thousand, three, exponentially, maybe a hundred thousand. Yes, yes, yes. You increase your effectiveness by getting into agreement and getting spirit-directed, scripturally-based prayers from the spirit and and continuing to pray them. These young people before the court prayed for three years. We have one minute. Okay. Give us me the definition of the Lord's Prayer. Well, the Lord's Prayer is an excellent, I mean, it's the prayer he said, pray this way. And it starts by saying that God would be honored in our nation, in our lives, and that his kingdom would come and his will would be done. And the way this is going to happen is we need fresh revelation on a daily basis. It says, give us this day our daily bread, not weekly bread. Yes, yes. Daily bread. And, he, and he's saying, don't forget about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. There'll be enough problems for today. It's sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And then he, then he goes on and says, if you forgive others, you'll be forgiven. Otherwise, we need daily bread. We need a revelation, spiritual bread, as, as well as physical bread. But we, we need a fresh revelation of God and his kingdom. And then we, we also need a, a forgiving spirit. 500,000 men. Yeah, but then it goes on and says, deliver us from evil. No, first, keep us from temptation and deliver us from evil. You and I are tempted every day. Yes. And the enemy's trying to mislead us. And if you want that day, you want today to count for eternity, you've got to start your day with God and pray those petitions. And it says, every one of us need deliverance every day. In fact, it says, deliver us from the evil one, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now, how many did he take up in in the chapter in between? That's the transfiguration. How many did he take up on the mountain with him? He didn't take up all 12. He said, some of you are going to die. Some of you are going to die before you die or go see the kingdom come with power. He only took Peter, James, and John. So he took two or three up onto the mountain and they saw the kingdom come with power. The others that didn't go up, tried to help a kid that was sore vexed, and they couldn't deliver. Why couldn't you deliver him? Only by much prayer and fasting. It was, otherwise, get in a small group Amen. and really get into agreement and begin to get spirit-directed prayers, and you're going to move the mountains. Praise you're, God. You're going to bind and loosen. The sword is falling. We need 500,000 men to pray. Get up at 4 o'clock, intercede from 5 a.m. to, 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. 